Welcome to Virtual Church Media Quantum Christianity. Here in Central Florida, we meet on Wednesday nights. We have a Bible study. There's other people here. Say hello, everybody. Hey, so you've got a whole live audience. We're going to have some fun tonight. You can come join us on a Wednesday night, 7 p.m. in Central Florida, the Orlando area. Or you can tune in on Quantum Kingdom Life or on Virtual Church Media. I'm David, my lovely wife, Joanna. We are the Hair Obedience with Virtual Church Media. And tonight we have a very exciting teaching. It is called The Seven Giants. The Seven Giants are real cause of failure. Wouldn't you like to know what your real cause and my real cause of failure is? It's not his fault or her fault. We have to overcome those seven giants. So we're going to get into those immediately tonight. So Deuteronomy chapter 7, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. The seven giants are a real cause of failure. Deuteronomy 7, verses 1 through 5. When the Lord God brings you into the land you're entering to possess and drives out before you many nations. And then he goes on to name seven nations. The Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Seven nations larger and stronger than you. So these seven nations are larger and they're stronger than you. But with God, you can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens you. Verse 2, And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. You must utterly annihilate them. Make no treaty with them. Don't have any compromise with these giants and show them no mercy. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So when we read the Old Testament, the New Testament is hidden inside of it, concealed. When we read the New Testament, the Old Testament is revealed inside that. So And when the Lord your God has delivered these seven nations, these seven types of giants into your hands that are stronger than you, but with God all things are possible, don't compromise. Don't get in league with them. Don't have mercy. Don't make a treaty with them. Do do not intermarry with them do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods and the lord's anger will then burn against you and you and will quickly destroy you verse five this is what you're to do to them break down their altars smash their sacred stones cut down their asherah poles and burn their idols in the fire Wow, kind of harsh, isn't it? Ouch. Ouch. That's not an inclusive message, is it? My God, we get canceled for that one today. (laughs) But here's the good news. Again, the Old Testament is a type or a shadow of the New Testament to come under grace. Here's what happens. Under the New Covenant, these seven giants are not so much conquered externally when we entered the promised land, but rather conquered internally as we enter Christ, the true land of promise. For in Christ, in him, we live and move and have our very being. When we're hidden in Christ, no weapon formed against us prospers. Every tongue that rises up against us in judgment is condemned because this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and the righteousness is of me, declares the Lord. 
Isaiah 54, 17. In Colossians 2, 17, it says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So the Old Testament is a shadow. The substance is Christ. And so let's talk about the seven giants. James 4, 1 through 7 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle where? Within you. You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. James 4, 1 through 7. Verse 3 says, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in you envies intensely, but he gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says God opposes the proud, James 4, 6, but he gives more grace to the humble. God opposes or he resists the proud, but he gives more grace, more unmerited favor to the humble. If we humble ourselves in the mighty hand of God, he will lift us up in due season. Therefore, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So the seven giants in the New Testament are on the inside. We're going to identify the seven different types of giants. And they perfectly match the seven in the Old Testament that are physical giants that you have to overcome. But in the New Testament, they're internal giants that we have to overcome. I want to give a quote here. And I want you to think about it. Many people admire Jesus. Many people admire Jesus. But few are willing to identify with him. Many admire, but few identify. If we suffer with him, we shall reign with him. The way up in God's kingdom is down. If we humble ourselves, we'll be exalted. The way to prosperity is generosity. That's the opposite of how the world teaches with the spirit of mammon. Get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can. But the Bible teaches give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over shall man come back into your bosom. So there's one who withholds more than he should and it's counted to him as a curse, the book of Proverbs says in 11. But there's one who gives more and yet it provides prosperity. One who holds more back than he should, it tends to poverty. So we have to be a river, not a reservoir. And it's okay to store up, to have a savings account, to have investments. There's nothing wrong with that. That's wise. However, because a, a man and woman, they lay up treasure and they give to their children's and children's children. So there's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a wise thing. The problem is when God asks you to release some of it, you have a tendency or I have a tendency to forget who gave it to us to start with. And when God tells us to release it, he wants to bless somebody to meet their need and he wants to refill our coffers. So if what's in your hand is too small to be your harvest, it must be your seed. Don't eat it, plant it, and you'll have more. As long as it's in your hand, it's the most it will ever be. 
But the minute it leaves your hand at the direction of the Lord into the soil of heaven, it's the least it will ever be. So again, the way up in the kingdom of God is down. The way to prosperity is to release. And it goes on and on and on. So many people are willing, many people admire Jesus, but few are willing to identify with him. When you're in a workplace, are you willing to identify with Jesus? Or are you willing to turn the other cheek? Wow. There was a boxer one time, he was a very gifted boxer, and he ended up getting saved, and he ended up becoming an evangelist, and he stopped his boxing career. Instead of going into an arena to box, he put up a tent, and he boxed with the devil, and he won souls, and he set the captives free. And one day, there was a young man who'd come to eat ice cream after the, uh, the tent revival, and many people had gotten saved you know, each night. And this young man, who was about 15 years old, 16 years old, went with the boxer and the father um, to go eat ice cream after the, the service. And this young man knew that this boxer was a Christian now. And so the young man had had some boxing training. And so while the boxer was eating his ice cream, young man would sneak in what they call steal on him and hit him. And so the boxer would glance it off and he would say, that was a pretty good shot. He goes, I appreciate it if you wouldn't do that again. Anyway, the second time what happened was same thing. Third night, same thing. Fourth night, the boy got saved in the crusade, <laughs> right? And so they go out to eat ice cream. And when they do, that young kid, he goes to steal on him again. And the boxer blocks and knocks him right to the ground. And the boy's on the ground. He says, I, I don't understand. You, you hit me. He says, I'll take that off a non-believer, but not off my brother. <laughs> so there comes a time when shift happens, right? And that day, the shift occurred when he got born again because he was translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son. And he needed to overcome that internal giant of desire to win or get over on this guy. There was another boxer who also got saved, as the story goes, and this was in the, uh, the 60s, and he was putting up his tent, and these young men were real rascals. They didn't want a tent revival in town, and so they were undoing the tent pegs, and I don't know if you've ever set up a big tent. I've set up some small ones, and those are challenging enough, but to have somebody undo the tent pegs and the thing start to collapse... So he would just get the tent set up and the other side is collapsing. He'd go around there and think, wow, I thought I put them in good. So he'd go to do that and the other side would start to collapse. And finally he realized somebody's playing games and they don't want him in town. So he comes around the corner and there's these, you know, young men in their young 20s and they say, you know, get out of here, preacher. We're not going to allow you to put your tent up. And he says, well, I just want to, you know, put my tent up. I've rented the land. I'm authorized. I've got my permits. They said, you're going to get out of here. And so... The first one said to him, we're, we're going to make you leave. He goes, I, I wouldn't advise that. And uh, so the one hits him. And the boxer, ex-boxer, looks at him. See, you, you can be an ex-boxer but still have your skill set. You can be an ex-gang member and still know some things. You can be an ex-drug dealer. You can be an ex-this or that and still know some things, but you're not operating on those things anymore. But there will be a bridge moment where you can connect with the world for evangelism, knowing the language that they speak. And uh, so the boxer said, my Bible tells me to turn the other cheek. And there was three of these guys. 
And so the other one reaches up and hits him on the other cheek. And he says, what are you going to do now, preacher? He says, well, my Bible tells me to turn the other cheek, and I've done that twice. I'm out of cheeks. I have no further instruction from the Lord. And he whooped all three of them. And a couple of nights later, they ended up getting saved in the crusade. So there's external giants and there's internal giants. But if you can overcome the internal giants, God will allow you to deal with a few external ones in love, not punitively, just to punish somebody, but restoratively to win them to Christ. Does that make sense? Does that help yeah. out? Yeah. Okay. So uh, 2 Timothy Second Timothy. 2.12 through 19 says, If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. Even when we're faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord. Timothy says, not to strive about the words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. It's actually the Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy in a letter. 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and idle babblings for they will increase to more ungodliness and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus, or of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection has already passed and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Yeah. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. It's interesting that he doesn't say depart from sin. He said, depart from iniquity. And we talked before the Bible study about the difference between sin, iniquity, and transgression. They're three different things, but they all work together like a triple braided cord that's not easily broken. We were all born in sin, shaped in iniquity, did our mother conceive us. So the word sin is the word hamartia in the Greek, or in the Hebrew rather, and it means to miss the mark. And the word miss the mark, if you had a long barrel rifle and you pointed it at the target but the barrel was crooked you would shoot and it wouldn't hit the target it would miss the mark because you have a bent or crooked rifle if you have an arrow and you're an archer and you got ready to shoot at the target but the arrow was bent the minute it left the bow it would fly off and miss the mark our problem is not so much sin our problem is iniquity, which is the root cause of all sin. We have a bad, bent, crooked foundation. And since every one of us was born in sin and iniquity, did our mother conceive us? Psalms 51, David said that. After he'd sinned with Bathsheba and killed Uriah the Hittite by conspiratorial murder while being a king, and he was triple anointed as prophet, priest, and king. I don't care how anointed you are. If you don't deal with the iniquity... You could fall. Pause. Say law. Attention-grabbing moment. If iniquity can cause an archangel by the name of Lucifer to fall from heaven and take a third of the angels with him, 
and he was perfect in all of his ways, it says about Lucifer. He was over worship in heaven. I don't care if you're a worship leader. I don't care how anointed you are. If you don't deal with the iniquity cords. If you don't deal with the iniquity drives, it will spring up. Iniquity is the root cause of all sin. So the word iniquity in the Hebrew is the word avon. It's where the root word is ava, ding dong, avon, calling. And so what happens is when you have an iniquity drive in you, that bent or crooked nature, when you try to do the right thing, you end up missing the mark. How many would like to know about how to overcome iniquity tonight? Yes. That's exciting, isn't it? Yes. Because once we overcome iniquity, it's easy to hit the mark because the arrow is straight. It's easy to hit the mark because the long barrel rifle is straight. Do you know what they call it when you hit the tennis ball and instead of it going in the box, it's outside the box. It is what's called a fault. Why? You missed the mark. We think sin is this terrible thing. It's missing the mark. It's missing the highest will of God. When you shoot a basketball at the basketball hoop and it doesn't go inside the hoop, but it bounces off, you sinned. You missed the mark. But with your right trajectory, it becomes easy to hit the mark. So tonight, we're going to ask the Lord to straighten out the crooked paths and make the way straight. John the Baptist came making the crooked path straight, preparing the way of the Lord, didn't he? See the metaphor? Saul of Tarsus was out killing Christians, thinking he was doing God a service. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had memorized the entire Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament by age seven. Most kids aren't reading at seven. The Apostle Paul was so gifted by God that by age seven, he had memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the entire Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. He had them committed to memory as he read the scrolls and he would go as a child. Brilliant man. He was so brilliant, he didn't understand the 333 prophecies in the Old Testament that he memorized about the coming of the Messiah. Do you know why? Iniquity had blinded him. The God of this world has blinded the minds of those who are perishing, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. And if we'll allow iniquity to blind us, pride to blind us, that bent or crooked nature in us to blind us, we'll miss the mark and we'll think we're doing God a service in our actions and activities, especially if we're in a religious position of leadership. Lucifer was in a position of leadership and when he fell, he took a third of the angels with him. I don't care how high you are up in your position at the bank, how high you're up in your position at the car dealership, how high you're up in your position in the choir, in the church, in your, your, your scholastic accomplishments, at your law firm. If you're not careful and you don't submit to God, you'll not be able to resist the devil and he'll flee. And the one thing that causes us not to want to submit to God is the third of the trilogy. Iniquity is the bent or crooked nature. Sin is missing the mark. And there's a third one called transgression, which is rebellion. And they're distinguished separately 
in the Old Testament. Sins, iniquities, and transgression. Sin, missing the mark. Iniquity, the root cause of all sin. The bent or crooked in nature in us that causes us to miss the mark. And transgression, the rebellion. There's a kid who was told to sit down in the corner. And they said, you sitting down? He says, I might be sitting down on the outside, but on the inside, I'm still standing up. Got my attitude. Attitude determines altitude with God. Do you know God will put you under some rough governors, rough bosses, employers, just to refine you so that he can prepare you for promotion? God put Joseph under Potiphar as a slave. And who sold him into slavery in the Old Testament? His own brothers. God will use anything and everything to accomplish the refinement in our life so that he can conform us into the image and likeness of his son. The Holy Spirit has one job. How he accomplishes is multifaceted. But his one job, once you're saved, is to conform you to the image and likeness of the Son of God. What's the Holy Spirit's job? Well, he's here to teach me. He's here to speak to me. He's here to guide me. He's here to lead me into all truth. He's here to uh, lead me in triumphal procession in Christ Jesus. He's here to comfort me. All those things are true and more. But guess what? Every one of those things is geared toward one thing, which is to conform you into the image and likeness of his son. Michelangelo was coming down the hill and he had a couple of mules and on the back of the... uh, the uh, cart that he had, there was a big boulder on the back of the cart. And Michelangelo, the famous, you know, uh, architect, the famous sculptor, and he, was, he would chip away and this and that. He'd make these amazing things to the Sistine Chapel. And so he was an amazingly gifted person. And so remember, just because you're famous now doesn't mean you were famous in your town then. Jesus wasn't that well-known. Oh, that's just that guy from Nazareth. Can anything good come from now? Yeah, the son of God that saved the world came out of Nazareth. So here's what happened. The man said from the town, he saw Michelangelo coming down. Michael, Michelangelo, what you going to do with that big boulder? Michelangelo stopped and he looked at the boulder and he looked at the man And he said, there's an angel in there and I'm going to set him free. There's an angel in there and I'm going to set him free. And the man said to him, how are you going to get the angel out, Michael? He says, easy. I'm going to remove everything that's not the angel. The Holy Spirit's job is to chip away at everything that's not the Son of God on the inside of you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, because many people admire Jesus, but few are willing to identify with him. Will you allow the Holy Spirit to refine you, to transform you, to conform you into the image and likeness of the Son of God, who, while we were yet still sinners, died for us? Here's the seven giants. And these seven giants show up in every family meeting, every gathering, every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, every birthday. 
Some of these giants show up on the scene in front of you and me, and some of them show up through you and me if we don't get the iniquity out. Remember this, iniquity means bent or crooked, right? John the Baptist came making the crooked path straight. Saul of Tarsus, who was on the road to Damascus, was blinded by the light and knocked off his high horse of pride on the road to Damascus as God set him free from his Damascus friends. And what happened was this. While he is blinded by the light, God, through Jesus, Jesus speaks in his resurrected state to a disciple named Ananias. And what does he say? He says, Ananias, there's a man named Saul, Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul. He's seeking me. He is on a street called Straight. Do you know when God wants to find you, he'll find you on a street when you're ready to get straight, when you realize you can't get the iniquity out, but the one who is the great deliverer is going to show up and straighten you up just like that. The first giant, are you ready? The first giant is the desire to look good. I got my bling bling on. I wore a nice shirt tonight. I like to look good, right? Do you know what? I didn't pull all my shirts out right away. I wanted to ease in. Haven't worn these shirts in a few years. This one still had the little tag on it from when I got it clean. But there's nothing wrong with looking good. But are you willing to be willing not to look good for the cause of Christ? That's interesting. What if you looking good actually causes people... To follow you instead of him. I remember I was in a prison situation and there was this uh, church that came in from the outside. And they were a full gospel church and they really carried the presence of God and the anointing. And this woman came in to sing and she was a beautiful black girl. And uh, she was, I mean, just stunning like a model. And she had been a model before she had gotten saved. And she still dressed very nice and very fine. And as she stood before uh, a room of prisoners in the chapel of about 125 that showed up. She had this amazingly stunning, anointed voice. She looked at the men looking at her. And she said this, and I'll never forget these words. She says, it's okay to enjoy the vessel that God created. She says, but as I sing, I want you to see the one who created the vessel not be focused on the vessel. So it's okay to look good as long as you're pointing people to Jesus. But you know, looking good is not always about physical appearance. Sometimes you just want to look good because it's an ego thing. The word ego is an interesting word. E-G-O. It's an acronym for me to edge God out. Does your ego edge God out? You know, in... Galatians 2.20, it says, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ Jesus who lives in me. And now the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved himself, loved me and gave himself for me. We can quote that scripture, many of us. I am crucified with Christ. You know what the word I is in the original Koine Greek language? See, when you do 20 years in prison, you get bored, you're reading toothpaste containers. And then you start reading the Greek and the Hebrew and the Bible, the original language. The word I 
in I am crucified with Christ is the word ago in the Greek. It's where we, in English, get our word ego. My ego is crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's him who lives in me and through me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's no greater love than this than a man laid on his life for his friend. Many people admire Jesus, but few are willing to identify with him. I want to have the same anointing that Jesus had. Good, start with a 40-day fast. Well, it's the holidays. Maybe I'll start at the first of the year. Try 40 hours. Try 40 minutes between Snickers bars. (laughs) Peter's shadow healed the sick. Peter made some mistakes. He denied Christ three times. He walked on water and sank. He cut off a centurion's ear. He rebuked the Lord. Jesus says, thou hast not in mind the things of God, Peter, but of men. Get thee behind me, Satan. Yet Peter finally got the iniquity out only after quadruple failure. Who was preaching the gospel on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 got saved? Not the good businessman, Judas. Peter, the mess up, the impetuous one. Doesn't matter whether you've made mistakes or not. He redeems, he restores. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. You know what's interesting? In the original Greek language, when Peter is asked, Peter, Jesus in his resurrected state, Jesus is restoring Peter. The same Peter that Jesus saw deny him three times times as Jesus was going to his crucifixion. I don't know this Jesus fellow. He even started to curse. No, your speech betrays you. You're a Galilean. I don't know the man. I'm telling you. Then the cock crows twice after he had denied him thrice, just like Jesus had prophesied. Peter was a broken man. And that's when he allowed the Lord to deal with the seven giants on the inside of him, of ego edging God out. Peter was in ministry, he cast out demons, he healed the sick, cleansed the lepers, he had the anointing, yet he wasn't yielded to God. But before God could use him, he had to break him down more. He had to reveal to Peter, Peter, your best thinking caused you to deny me three times. Your best thinking caused you to walk on water and sink. Your best thinking caused you to cut off a centurion's ear and you're willing to die to protect me. Yet, now that I've gone to the cross, you're there to deny me as if you never even knew me. Do you see what iniquity does? Ego, edging God out. It's an interesting passage in Luke 14. Jesus says, which of you wants to be my disciple? This is not a milk toast message. This is not a feel-good message. This is a call to action, a provoking message to get us out of a stuck place, to get us out of sitting on our spiritual blessed assurance, eating spiritual bonbons, and get into the game because God is looking for a few good men and a few good women, and he's no respecter of persons, Acts 10.34. If he'll use Kimmy, 
he'll use Billy. If he'll use Billy, he'll use Jimmy. If he'll use Jimmy, he'll use Paul. He'll use Sarah. He is looking for anybody who is willing to yield to him because the Holy Spirit is at work because there's an angel inside of you and Jesus wants to set him free. The Holy Spirit is moving and conforming you to the image and likeness of his son. Will you allow him to chip away at you and get you out of the way so he can arise? And then Peter's shadow that heals the sick and casts out devils can begin to shine through you. Isn't that really exciting when you walk into a room and people feel the presence of God? When my wife goes into a place and she walks in, the atmosphere shifts. They think it's her charisma. They don't realize it's the Holy Spirit that shines out of her. And then when she begins to pray, or sing in Hebrew and the presence of God comes in, they know what it is. Because for years on the backside of the mountain, in tears and weeping and much screaming and pain, God was literally transforming her into the image and likeness of his son. So it's not Joanna's charisma, my wife's charisma, although she is very charismatic. It's not her beauty. Although she is very beautiful. It's not her sweet disposition, although she is very, very sweet. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. When Catherine Kuhlman would walk into Channel 9 at the studio, CBS actually, was CBS, when she would walk into CBS Studios, people knew Catherine Kuhlman was in the building because they could feel the presence of God when she was there. When she would go to the airport to get on a commercial flight, People would recognize her in the airport and they would line up and she would be rushing to the airport and she would be praying for them and they'd be falling out under the power and the guards would be coming. What happened? Oh, Kath, Miss Kuhlman just came through. They're out under the power and they're getting healed of cancer and tuberculosis and all kinds of things. Why? Because she carried the presence of God. But it wasn't until she had an encounter. See, Catherine Kuhlman lived and grew up nine miles from me in Concordia, Missouri. I grew up in Warrensburg, Missouri, nine miles from Catherine Kuhlman. Yet I never knew her, never went to any of her ministry events. She was just another name because the God of the world had blinded the minds of those who were perishing. I missed my day of visitation. Nine miles, I could have ridden my bicycle if I was a hungry believer and went and visited. My wife and I, eventually, we were back in that area. We went into Concordia, Missouri, and they've got a little area, a little place for her there. And they honor Catherine Kuhlman, but the people in the town don't really even know that much about her because it's so many years. But people that have studied revival and church history, they honor that mantle. The same God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead shall also quicken and mortal and make alive your body. I am dead to sin, but alive with God in Christ Jesus. Romans 6, 10, and 11. So Miss Kuhlman, when she would walk through, the presence of God would come. It wasn't her personality. It wasn't her physical appearance. It wasn't her long flowing dress with the Shabbat coming off of her arms. It was the Holy Spirit. But she one day went to a cul-de-sac and in that cul-de-sac, she died to self that day. And that's when her ministry really began. Oh, she had ministry prior to that. But it wasn't until 
she died to that one thing. And this is her story. But it was when she died to a relationship with a man called Mr. that she knew she shouldn't be with. And when she died to Mr. and she never had contact with him again, that's when her ministry became global. And on one occasion, she got a dozen roses and it was just signed, Mr. He had been in the service and he respected her enough not to mess with the anointing, not to be a stumbling block or to trip her up because the lives of others could have been not so positively affected had she not been in the room yielded to the Holy Spirit of God. She allowed the master potter to form her on the pottery wheel. And you wanna know what the master potter does if he doesn't like what he's forming? He smashes it down and he starts again. Some of you have felt like you've been smashed down. Do you know what a potter does? He adds water to the clay. The water is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And that's grace, unmerited favor. He resists the proud, but he gives more grace, more water on the potter's wheel to the humble. You know the word humble and prideful, they are very interesting. God resists the proud, but he gives more grace to the humble. The word proud, I believe, could be unteachable. I know it all. I don't need to, I don't, speak to the hand. I got this. I got this. You know, in prison, somebody said to me, David, I don't need this Jesus thing. I got this. I go, well, my best thinking got me 22 years. What'd your best thinking get you? (laughs) They'd look at me. I'm going to do it better next time. I've got it figured out. I said, you know, the Fed's got new technology since you've been in. You've been working on a IBM Selectric. They got computers, bro. They got a whole lot more. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do it differently this time. I've learned my lesson on how I get not get caught. Nine months later, they're back in prison with a 20-piece. They're doing 20 years now. Well, that's what your best thinking got you. You need to lose your mind and get the mind of Christ. Amen. Somebody said to me, David, you're a fanatic. You know what the word fanatic is when it comes to Christians? Somebody who loves Jesus just a little bit more than you. Wow. A fanatic who's a Christian is somebody who loves Jesus just a little bit more than you. You know, we get the word fan. Oh, he's a fan of this NFL team. He's a fan of basketball. He's a fan of NASCAR. The word fan is short for fanatic. You're going to be a fanatic for something. You might be a fanatic for Marvel comic series. You might be a fanatic for baseball cards. You might be a fanatic for automobiles. You might be a fanatic your fantasy football league but wouldn't it be better if you were a fanatic for christ as you were being transformed into the image and likeness of his son from grace to grace and glory to glory as you behold him and the things of this earth shall grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace fix your eyes upon jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. 
Now there's an example. I'm not a singer, but I crucified my ego just to sing because it was prophetic as we're transformed into the image and likeness of his son. There are some people who sound really good when they sing, but they're not anointed. There are some people that don't sound very good when they sing, but they are anointed. And when I'm under the anointing, I can sing a little bit. When I'm not under the anointing, I can't carry a note if you gave it to me in a briefcase. But there are other people like my wife who sounds good and is anointed. So normally we allow that mantle to be on her. But tonight, the Lord wanted to do something about fixing our eyes upon Jesus. So we're going to finish up the seven giants. The first giant is to look good, standing upon our dignity. We love titles, clothing, cars, positions, income, neighborhood, outward appearance. I had talked with somebody who attended a Bible study, and uh, we were in a uh, lesser area of Kansas City, and she was from the number one per capita income area of Kansas in a specific zip code. And so next to that zip code was an area called Johnson County. And I said, oh, this is so-and-so. And I said, she's from Johnson County. And she immediately turned and she says, I'm from this and named the city. Cause she didn't want to be distinguished as from this part of town. She wanted to be distinguished from this part of town. Lovely, wonderful woman, but this was looking good. The Mercedes Benz wasn't enough, had to identify the zip code. Have you been caught up in that? Did it make a difference to the person? No, it actually elevated. And guess what? We've all done it in one form or another. David, you've written some books, haven't you? Yeah, I've written some books. I remember a friend of mine had written some books and I said to him, he was before the congregation, I said, I think you've written 10 books. He goes, 11. Does it really matter whether it's 10 or 11 or 12 or 13? You've written a lot of books. You've written 10 books. Yeah, I actually have. I may even be more than that. You know, to God be the glory. But do you see, to be able to add that one extra book, somebody births one book, it's an accomplishment. Two books is amazing. 10, it doesn't matter. But it's about looking good. It's a giant we have to overcome because the way up with God is down. Number two giant, feel good. Ah, I don't want to go to church tonight. Ah, I just want to sit back and relax. And guess what? Sometimes you go to church too often and you do need to sit back and relax and you need to spend time with your wife or husband or children. And there's nothing wrong with that because you are the church. It's God first, wife and family second, and it's ministry and career third. Honey, the reason I'm working all these 16-hour days is for you and the kids. God first, spouse and family second, ministry and career third. Well, I'm out winning the world for Jesus. Yeah, but all your children are backslidden on drugs because you're not around, Dad. You won the world and lost your family. God first, spouse and family second, career third and ministry third. Well, you don't understand. It won't work that way. I've got, if it is to be, it is up to me. EGO, aging God out. Give him an opportunity to show up and show out. Giant number two, feel good. We can feel good with food, drugs, sex, alcohol. We can be addicted to exercise. Do you know that there are people that are addicted to exercise? 
Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with exercise. I need more of it. But I know people that are so addicted to exercise that if they don't get their exercise fix, they're like a completely different person because there's an endorphin release when you exercise. And it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But if you're addicted to it, it might be an idol. An idol is anything that you place ahead of God. Luke 4, 14, 26. If any man comes after me, he must hate his mother and father and sister and brother. Yes, even his own life. He must pick up his daily cross and follow after me, Jesus says. The word hate, mother and father, is not the word hate like we think. It actually is the Greek word meseo, which means to love less than. So if any man comes after me, Jesus says, oh, you want to be my disciple? Stop. Stop. No. Stop the train. You don't know the requirements. Let me tell you what the requirements are to be my disciple, to be a disciplined one, to come after me, to follow me. You must first, Maseo, you must love less your mother and father and sister and brother. Yes, even your own life or career or position or title or food. You have to love them less than me. I'm first. El primero, el numero uno. The top dog. You can't say, no, Lord, or he's no longer Lord. Do you love him more than anything else? If so, He'll enable you to love your wife more. He'll enable you to love your family more. He'll enable you to love people more because he fills you with a love when you spend time with him and he chips away at the boulder and all of a sudden the boulder comes off and the man or woman of God appears and it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Apostle Paul says, I now bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. I fill up in my flesh the things that are lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. I now travail in childbirth. Galatians 4.19, I travail. I'm in childbirth in intercession for you till Christ be formed in you. He was talking to believers. The seed was on the inside through the born-again experience. The pilot light was on. Their spirit man was born again. Their name was in the Lamb's book of life. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was travailing in childbirth and intercession for Christ to be formed because Christ was in them like a pilot light. But he wanted them to have the full burning flame to come out into their soul and their body. So Paul's handkerchiefs and aprons, the anointing would come off of him and he could send him out and heal the sick. Peter's shadow would radiate off of him the adumbration of God's glory. It wasn't Peter's shadow that healed the sick. It was the glory of God radiating out of Peter's shadow. The episkizo in the original Greek language, the overshadowing of God's presence. How will I be with child, Mary says. The Holy Spirit will episkizo. The adumbration of his glory will overshadow you and you will be with child. It's an encounter with heaven on earth. God wants to do it not just to you, not just in you, but through you.
will you allow him to knock off some rough edges in the process? Will you praise him in all things? And based on Romans 8.28, where God works all things together for good, will you praise him for all things? Sometimes it's tough to praise him in all things. But when something happens and Judas sells you out for 30 pieces of silver, are you willing to praise God for Judas? Judas got Jesus to the cross. Judas ended up suicidal. I don't know about his retirement plan, but it might be in the smoking section. (laughs) The key is you want to get to the non-smoking section. And you want to release the fire of God on the earth so others can feel the heat of heaven and escape the fires of hell. So number one, giant is to look good. Number two, giant is to feel good. And part of feeling good is not just food, drugs, sex, alcohol, or be addicted to exercise or academic achievement. I've got an LLDC and a BA and a BHG. I'm BA, I'm born again. BHG, I'm baptized in the Holy Ghost, and I'm an LLDC, I'm a long-legged devil chaser. (laughs) People would come up to me, they'd be like, well, uh, are you a pastor? I'm like, no, I'm a host. Do you have a congregation? Oh, I tend over here. They're like, well, what's the name of your service? I I told them, well, what do you do over there? I'm the host. And they're like, what do you host? I said, I host the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Wouldn't you rather be host to the Holy Spirit than... Apostle whatever of the first church of the frozen chosen is a six-foot icicle. Get this behind the pulpit and your words don't go past the third row. And it's a snooze fest. Or would you rather host the Holy Spirit? I remember I was in a, invita- invited and I was in a certain area of the city of Kansas City. And it was a corporate prayer meeting. And I had stepped in for somebody. And uh, they asked me finally, the guy's like, I, I pastor a 1,500 member congregation. I'm like, really? That's great. And he says, what do you do? I said, I host. So we have about 30 or 40 people on a Friday night. And he's like, oh. He says, "Uh, I've got a uh, doctorate of divinity. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Congratulations. (laughs) And he says, "Uh, how about you? I said, well, I got a BA and a BHG. Born again, baptized in the Holy Ghost. (laughs) And he's like, oh, well, did you go to college? I said, well, actually, I do have a four-year degree. I'm licensed to Marion Barry. Yes, I am. (laughs) And he said, oh. He says, uh. So you have about 40 people, 35 or 40. I said, on a good night, 40. Normally it's, you know, 25 to 30. I said, but, you know, last year, I said, we won 170,000 souls to Christ because we took up an offering and we won them for a dime ahead in Nigeria, or West Africa. And I said, we do feeding programs. I said, so we, we won 170,000. I said, how many do you have in your congregation? You see, 1,500. See, everything changed suddenly. Because God doesn't care about the size of your congregation. He cares about the fruit of it and the sending power by the Holy Ghost. And he said to me, he says, so are you a pastor? I said, well, I mean, I guess I'm licensed to be a one, but I'm just a son. And he says, a son? I go, yeah. I said, you know, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, Romans 8, 14, those are the sons of God. And he says, well, he says, uh, I go, So let me ask you a question. I said, do you guys have a prison ministry? No, we don't have a prison ministry. And he came from a culture where one out of three of that culture will go to prison at some time of life, at some time of their life in America. So it's the highest per capita incarceration group in the nation. I said, you don't have a prison ministry with 1,500 people? I said, I'm confused. 
well, that's not really our thing. I said, do you have anything to this nation since it's, you know, the motherland, this and that? No, we don't have. I said, how big's your intercessor group? Well, we don't have an intercessor group. I said, do you have an intercessory prayer room? I go, what are you guys doing over there? <laughs> I said, you know, we've got a prison ministry to like 1,300 facilities. We provide bonded leather-bound Bibles and Christmas cards. I said, we're only 30 or 40. What, what's going on with the 1,500? I'm curious. He said, well, we preach this and that and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, great. And so he went on and pontificated. And I said, well, guess what? I said, I'm really glad to meet you. I said, and I'm, I talk to dad every night. I go, I'm going to let him, because I'm his son. I'm going to talk to him, tell him what a great job you're doing down here. <laughs> so they were in the pulpit praying for this and praying for that with platitudes. And it was my turn. And I got up and I stood before the congregation. And I grabbed the microphone. And I said, Holy Spirit, come. And the presence of God rolled in. And the shalom peace of God came in. And people began to weep. And they began to get on their knees and repent. Because when you know him, he shows up when you call upon him. Call upon me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that thou knowest not. And as people were repenting and weeping and the atmosphere of heaven had come into that huge church, I said, you know, I've come to learn one thing, that the majority, if not all, of men's problems in this world, all of mankind's problems, I might say, are born out of one primary thing, Mankind trying to accomplish their God-given calling without God. Mankind trying to accomplish their God-given calling without him. Moses tried to accomplish his God-given calling to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt without him and killed an Egyptian and was banished to the backside of the mountain for 40 years. He came back after he was broken and rebuilt by God, smashed on the potter's will and rebuilt with the grace of the Holy Spirit. And he came back with the rod of God in his hand and he delivered three million with great miraculous signs and wonders by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Are you still trying to accomplish it by the work of flesh? Might I suggest that your greatest accomplishment without God is a mess. Whatever we do without God, we must fail out miserably or we must succeed at it even more miserably. There's a lot of people that have succeeded right now. And if you go talk to them privately, they're miserable because they did it without God. And then the money of the wicked will be laid up for the righteous and it'll switch kingdoms sometimes through the born again experience. Preach the gospel to those that are miserable and successful. They have a skill set. They're called to be deliverers. You know, there was a man, I won't name him, but he had $500 to his name and he started a pornography company. His pornography company prospered. And before his death, he lived in a $100 million mansion. And he was absolutely miserable. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. I believe he was called to be an apostle to plant churches. Instead, he planted 
pornography studios with his God-given gift. He succeeded miserably and made other people around him miserable. Mother Teresa was actually very wealthy. People don't know this about her. She came from wealth, yet she took a voluntary vow of poverty. And she only had two dresses. And she would wash one and dry it while she wore the other one. Two dresses, yet millions of dollars came through her hands. But she took a vow to poverty. See, a vow to poverty is different than poverty. Poverty is a demon spirit that will keep you from fulfilling your God-given destiny. But a vow to poverty doesn't make you poor. It enables you to accomplish your God-given calling with things coming through you that they don't stick to you. She didn't have sticky hands. She planted a thousand orphanages apostolically in India with her God-given calling. One planted pornography studios and wrecked women's lives. The other one planted orphanages and saved women's lives. And I bet their retirements right now are in completely different locations for eternity. Will you allow your ego, your EGO, that's edged God out to be crucified with Christ that he might rise within you? We're going to go through the other seven giants rapidly and we're going to close. Giant number three. First one is giant one, look good. Number two, giant is to feel good. Number three is to be right. Self-willed, pride-filled option. I've seen business deals go wrong. You know why? A guy wanted to be right about something. He was at the table and he wanted to be right. Killed the deal. Somebody wanted to be right on a doctrinal issue. I really gave it to him what's for and I told him this verse and that verse and I won the doctrinal argument. Did you win him to Christ? Be right is a giant that causes doctrinal division and strife. Sometimes people come to me with the worst of doctrine. I'm like, okay, wow, that's great. Oh, you believe that? Space aliens, great, huh? Huh? That's right. If you were to die tonight, where would you go? Uh, I think I'd go to heaven. If what you were believing were not true, would you want to know it? No, nope, I wouldn't want to know it. Okay, great. How about the Oakland A's this year? They're doing pretty good. Just change the subject. They'll come right back to it. Yeah, I want to know. I want to know. Take them to the scriptures and let them read the scriptures. Don't argue with them doctrinally. Wait for God, the Holy Spirit, to open the door, to touch their heart. And guess what? You might be one exposure of 15 on their road to salvation. You may never be the one that leads them to Christ. But you'll get credit for it in heaven because heaven keeps the books. You soften their heart. You sow to seed. We're closing out. Giant number three, be right, obstinate, self-willed, and pride-filled. Giant number four, remaining control. Self-willed determination to be godly. If it is to be, it is up to me. I'm self-reliant. I'm going to overcome this sin. Glory be to me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. Instead of God, I'm a miserable wretch without you. Would you straighten out the iniquity cords in me? Would you pluck them out? Would you set me free? Abstinence and deliverance. Abstinence is I'm abstaining, but there's something in me that wants to do it still. Deliverance is Jesus set me free. It's like a, a movie to even think I used to do that. How many want deliverance instead of self-willed abstinence? Giant number five, hidden agenda. Set upon my own ambition, ambitious agenda. I want to accomplish this through relationship, business deal, introduction, church position, etc. What's in it for me? Cain was his 
the way maker. He made a way for himself. He killed Abel. It's a murdering spirit, this ambitious spirit. It's not wrong to want to achieve, but if you wait for God to promote you, no one can stop it. If you try to promote yourself and you achieve it, you have to keep yourself there. You know, we're getting ready to go on a very large television platform. We just got approved for that. I've been born again 30 years. For 12 years, people have said, you need to be on this program. Do you want me to make the call? And I'm like, I don't feel it's time yet. We will wait for God. We will wait for God. And now it's happening. And so who knows? Maybe if we'd been promoted too early, our character wouldn't have been right. And it would have caused us to fall like lightning from heaven, like Lucifer, who still had the seven giants on the inside. Let God deliver you from those seven giants then he can promote you and people will see Christ in you, the hope of glory. Giant number six, personal advantage. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? You ever be in a business deal? Give them the whiff them. What's the whiff them? What's in it for me? Tell them what's in it for them. If you do this, I'll give you a referral fee. Oh, a referral fee. Oh, I might introduce you to so-and-so. I can give you a referral fee. Oh, let me go ahead and text you their number now. There's the whiff them. And guess what? There's nothing wrong with giving somebody an incentive or rewarding them or honoring them. People deserve things. However, if it's all about the whiff them, you'll introduce them to a bad deal just because you're getting paid. The next thing you know, there's a civil suit and your name's in it. Well, did you ever, did you make anything? I I, I can't really remember. Well, we're just going to have to review the bank accounts. Whiff them. My gosh. Giant number seven remain undisturbed. Don't take me out of my comfort zone. I'll give money, but don't want to go and do the stuff. I'm not going to Nigeria to preach, but I'll send people. I'm not going into the prisons to preach, but I'll pay for Bibles. I'm not going to go do this, but I'll pay for stamps for Christmas cards, but I don't want to fill any out. I don't want my name or address on any of that stuff because I want to remain undisturbed but I'm willing to give a financial guilt offering today. But I'm not about to leave my Learjet's Corvettes in my house by the lake to do it because I don't want to be disturbed. David didn't want to be disturbed and he stayed in the palace while it was time for the kings to go out for war. And while he was remaining undisturbed, he looked off his balcony and he saw Bathsheba taking a bath. And the next thing you know, it wasn't just seeing her He looked. One look, and he was hooked. The next thing you know, he's on a roll. He fetches her. She gets pregnant, tries to get the husband to sleep with her. Can't do it because he's more righteous than David. And he does conspiratorial letters and gets Bathsheba's husband murdered. This is what can happen when you're remaining undisturbed and you're called to go out. And guess what? When you go out and you stoop down and help people in a lesser position, iniquity gets straightened out of you when you show kindness to those in a lesser position. James 4.17 and 4.1 through 7, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? The seven giants are a real cause of failure, are internal. There's two types of Christians, those who conform desire to truth and those who conform truth to desire. When you read the Bible, 
Do you read out of it exegetically what it's saying and allow it to change you? Or do you read into it eisegetically and change the scriptures to mean what you want them to? Thou shall not commit adultery. Yeah, you know, it's two consenting adults. Uh, you know, God made me this way. I know it's fornication outside of marriage, but, you know, I'm an adult. They're an adult. Thou shalt not. Those who conform desire to truth and change the word of God into a lie and those who conform truth into desire or they conform desire into truth, they change their desires by the power of the Holy Spirit and things get chipped away and the angel comes out. Eros love versus agape love, admiration versus identification, church kids versus kingdom kids, religious folks and those who are in relationship, believers versus disciples, selfish versus self less. And there's two types of people as we end with an entitlement spirit, the parasites and the predators. And they're in the body of Christ too. The parasites take advantage of the generosity of others while never offering anything in return. You want to know what a parasite does? It attaches to its host. It drains the life out of the host little by little. And then when the host no longer has anything left, it detaches and it goes and finds another host. There are people in the body of Christ with a parasitic spirit. It's an entitlement spirit. And an entitlement spirit has two manifestations or two modes of operations. One is a parasite that takes advantage of the generosity of the others while never offering anything in return. Jude 1.16, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to take advantage. And then the predators are consummate, <coughs> users or consummate users out to get anything or use anyone for personal gain. They don't take advantage of the opportunity, but they take advantage of the situation. Jude one twelve. these are spots in your love feast in the church while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by winds which are doctrines, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. You want to know what happens when you're twice dead? That means you were once born again. That's pretty scary, isn't it? Wow. Point to ponder. That's a whole nother message. That's a little truth bomb. Go search the scriptures and you'll see the rest of it if you read out of them what's in there. But if you want to read into them, you'll never see it. Ask the Lord if these things be so. I want to know. Yes. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we give you permission tonight to conform us into the image and likeness of the Son of the living God. We give you permission to put us back on the potter's wheel. This is the one thing we ask. We ask as we humble ourselves and make this prayer for you to begin this next level of work that you would add water of the Holy Spirit to make us pliable in your hands. We know your word says if we delight ourselves in the Lord, you will give us the desires of our heart. We know if we make ourselves pliable, our desires will be changed into your desires and you're really answering the prayer of your own heart for us, in us, and through us. And Lord, as we look at these seven giants, whether it's looking good, feeling good, being right, 
whether it's personal advantage, ulterior motive, what's in it for me? Just want to remain undisturbed. Lord, I pray that you would show us these areas of our heart that you desire to pluck out, that we know you have vision of what you want to do in us and through us, and you're just knocking off a few edges so the beauty and the radiance of your sun can shine through us. And so we thank you for conforming us into the image of your son, that others might know you and see you in our lives and through us and know your name and be saved. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And those in agreement said, Amen. Amen and amen. We will see you next week. And freedom from the seven giants. God bless you. I'm David. Join the Herobedian. Virtual Church Media. And if you want to sew online, virtualchurchmedia.com. And please consider partnering with us if you've been blessed. God bless you.